How are you tonight? Great, praise God. Well, we're in 2 Corinthians tonight. We're in part 11, looking at chapter 5, verses 13 through 21 tonight. Some powerful, powerful passages in here. I struggled not to dive deeper in, but we're doing a verse-by-verse study here, 2 Corinthians Remember, 2 Corinthians, the church was a little wild, it was a little carnal, it was a, it was a little bit worldly, and they struggled with that because Corinth was a wild place. You know, what you get saved from sometimes creates a residue in you that takes a while to remove. Anyone? That's why it's best not to let the tigers out of the cage sometimes, because uh, sometimes the way out is a, a long journey, and the Corinthians were growing, and Paul loved them. He was ministering to them, saw them as his spiritual children. We catch up with Paul in verse 13 of chapter 5, and I'm going to read it to you. Lord, we thank you tonight for this text that you've given us, the Word of God. All 66 books are relevant. They are applicable. They are a roadmap, a blueprint. Everything we need, every truth we need, every answer to every question we have is in your word. And Father, you've given it to us as a gift. So Holy Spirit, open it up to us tonight and let us not hear with our own intellect or understanding, but let us hear by the Spirit tonight and reveal the deep truths of your word to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 13 of chapter 5, here we go. For if we have lost our minds, well, we're off to a good start. If we have lost our minds, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one by the flesh, even though we have known Christ by the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them, and he has committed to us the word or the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Wow. Powerful, powerful verses there, so much solid New Testament theology, the theology of the cross, redemption, the resurrections in there. We start in verse 13. It's kind of an interesting thing Paul says here. For if we have lost our minds, it is for God. If we are found of sound mind, it is for you. How many have ever had those days where by nine o'clock you have lost your mind? Amen. Paul says that here and it's It's a little tongue-in-cheek. He's trying to get a point across. Paul recognizes that the more believers are focused on the kingdom of God and heavenly things, 
the more out of touch and out of step they will become with the practical things of this world. So he's saying, if I'm out of my mind, it's for God. Why would he say that? Because you get so focused on kingdom things that you, you maybe would get in danger of what the scripture says, become so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Now, most of us are never guilty of that. Most of us are so worldly minded, we're no heavenly good. Isn't that just how we roll? But Paul is saying here, you know what, him and his team and the, the, the evangelism and the missions they're doing, you know, they're so focused on kingdom things that they seem out of touch to everyone around them and maybe even to the believers in the church. So he's saying the more we get in step with God, the more out of step we get with the world. And to the world, it appears that we are out of our minds. Has anyone ever seen your Christianity or seen the change in you or seen an expression of your faith and thought, and, and maybe even said to you, you're out of your mind. What are you doing? They used to know who you were, and now you're transformed and you're different. And they're like, have you lost your mind? So Paul says, if we lost our mind, it's for God. And getting into kingdom things and leaving behind the practical things, we need to have a balance there so we can be of use to those in the world and introduce them to the kingdom of God. We may look like we've lost our minds to others, but becoming obsessed with God and the things that please God is for God, and it's a great way to live, amen? The second half of the verse shows that if a believer is balanced and practical, it's a benefit to others, to the lost, to the church, to young Christians. Look what he says, if we are of sound mind, it is for you. So Paul realizes the more I'm grounded, the more I'm practical, the more it's a beneficial thing for you crazy Corinthians so I can teach you the practical precepts, try and say that three times fast, of what Christ, the Christian life is to be, amen? So he starts off with this whole in your mind or out of your mind, and there's uh, benefits to both, but we need to be practical enough to affect the lost. We need to be, uh, you know, down to earth enough to be able to snatch people out of the muck and mire. We need not become so super spiritual or religious that we estrange ourselves from the very people we're supposed to reach, so verse 14 continues, for the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, the one died for all, therefore all died. This shows a part of what it really means to be in Christ. The love of God is what controls us, amen? You and I are to be controlled by God's love. The more we know God's love, the more it casts out fear. The more we know God's perfect love, the more we can just approach life with a carefree sense of joy. It's the love of God that we need. So the love of God needs to control us. But the truth is a lot of times fear controls us or lust drives us or, you know, uh, uh, self controls us. Can, can we just be real on Wednesday night? You know, when you're, when you're online and you're, you're punching off that Amazon list and you got packages piled up at the door, you know, and it says, I want this and I need that. And it's like we get caught up in the things of the world. And sometimes we're controlled by a lot of other things besides God. And you know what? None of us can say we've got it perfect, but we need to be mindful of it because it is God that can, should control us. Not fear, not self, not lust, but God. The second part of verse 14 alludes to the reality of our spiritual state. We are dead 
to sin in Christ. Look at having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. This shows the positional state that we're in when we're in Christ. That phrase in Christ is an important New Testament phrase, amen? Because when we're in Christ, we're going to see old things pass away, all things become new. When we're in Christ and we're born again, we're no longer a slave to the things of this world. Why? Because Jesus died and he crucified those things and we're in him now. Dead people are not a slave to the things of this world. If you, know, if you had a rich man and he was dead in a casket and you put a briefcase in front of him of you know, $10 million, he wouldn't get up and grab it. If a dead person was there and they, they had lust problems in life and a pretty girl walked by the casket, they wouldn't sit up and say, hey, what's your number? Because once you're dead, you're delivered from the drives of the flesh. So positionally in Christ, we are dead to sin. Why? Because he died and we're in him, so we're all dead. Look at your neighbor and say, you're dead. <laughs> Sometimes I need to start acting like I'm dead. Verse 15, Jesus died for us, not so we could live our lives for ourselves, but so that we could live for him. And he died for all so that those who live would no longer live for themselves. Did you hear that? I'm going to read it again. So that those who live, who are those? Those are us. We are dead in Christ. We're born again. We should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose on our behalf. Powerful New Testament theology here. This is what the Christian walk, the Christian life is all about. Being in Christ, being dead to sin, uh, living, you know, the resurrection is mentioned here. It says, he who died and rose. You know, if Jesus just died, really, we're still all stuck in our sin. If Jesus just died, well, that would have been a nice thing. You know, he, we were on his mind. He gave us life. But listen, the grave couldn't hold him. The tomb didn't hold him. He rose again on the third day. And that made all the difference. Because the fact that he died and now he lives and he's alive forevermore means that he conquered death, hell, and the grave so that those of us who are in Christ positionally are righteous in the sight of God and we are no longer under the curse of the law or the bondage of sin. Oh, come on, church, get a little excited. I know it's Wednesday, but this is good news, amen, and rose on our behalf. So the resurrection is mentioned there. The resurrection is so important. It's what gives us resurrection power, amen. You and I need the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit to navigate the obstacles of this world. I don't know if you've noticed, but things are not getting better. The world is spinning out of control. Those wars and rumors of wars and all of those signs that we talked about to precede the coming of Christ. I hope you remember that series. We spent weeks in it. But we are watching uh, biblical things come to pass all around us. It's no accident of, of what's going on in the Middle East and the nations that are getting involved. It is all very biblical. So you and I need to be in Christ and right with him and looking for the coming of the Lord. Verse 16 gives us the perspective we are to have about ourselves. You know, once in a, once in a while, it's good to, to be told what, how we should think or what we should think about ourselves as Christians. Did you ever just sit down? Maybe you've been beat up. You're, you know, you're, you've dealt with problems. You've dealt with sickness. And you sit down and you're like, I, I don't even know what's going on. Anyone ever been there? I don't even know what to do. Many times in prayer, I, I just sit there and I'm like, I don't know, Lord. That's my prayer. Amen? If you pursue them, you know what I'm talking about. 
And so verse 16 gives us the perspective we're supposed to have. Therefore, from now on, see, now on from when? From when we're born again and we're in Christ. From now on, we recognize no one by the flesh, even though we have known Christ by the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. So because we're born again and our spirits have been revived, we don't recognize each other in the flesh. What I mean is that we don't say, you know, what was your name again? I went to school with you. I knew you my whole life. You were my neighbor. But you're born again, so I don't know you anymore. No, we still know names and faces and who. But we're, we're new. So we don't know the person by what they used to be. Oh, you were this in school. You were the druggie. You were the jock. You were the wild person. You were, you were the person who picked on me in seventh grade. No, we don't know people after the flesh. You got to get this. We got to let the flesh go. You know, some people are so stuck in the past, they still identify with who they were before they became Christians. I was an outlaw. I was a biker. I was a this. I was a that. Not anymore. You're in Christ. You're a new creation. You're a brand new creature. All that stuff is gone. It's gone. So we got to stop bringing it up. We got, you know, sometimes in the Bible when I see, you know, this was so-and-so the prostitute, I'm like, stop saying that. <laughs> You know, I know it's so we know for context who it was, but I'm like, they're no longer that anymore. The tax collector, the, the fisherman, you know, it's like now in the New Testament church, we got to let all that stuff go of what we were before we came to Christ. This is how we should think of ourselves. I'm no longer who I was. I'm brand new right now. The past is buried in the blood of Jesus, and it has no hold or effect on me anymore. I am in Christ I am one of his sons, one of his daughters, and that's how I want to be recognized, and that's how we should recognize one another. So we don't recognize other believers by the flesh. They mention, you know, we, we knew Jesus by the flesh. The, you know, Paul is writing this. He never knew Jesus in the flesh, but the other apostles did actually walk with him, and, you know, they, they knew him. They slept with him. They ate with him. They, they walked with him. So we are new now. We're redeemed. We're reborn. We're we're rebranded, we're different. And after the fact that Christ has changed us, we let the past go. Verse 17 drives this point home a little bit more, but in a beautiful way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there's that in Christ, this person is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, the King James says, all things have become new. I'm so used to the King James, even when I'm reading the New American Standard Bible, I'm thinking King James. So you know, we know that text. We know that scripture. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And this is how we are to think of ourselves because in the spiritual realm, that's exactly who we are. Now, a lot of times we don't feel different. We don't feel changed. We don't feel transformed. You know, sometimes we have life-changing events and we don't feel like our life has changed and we can't tell about our growth and we don't see how far we've come. Do you know, most of us are the hardest critics we face are ourselves. You know, and it's like, you know, God's doing things. God's changing things. We've come such a long way, but we don't acknowledge it. We don't even notice it. It's kind of like when you visit people you haven't seen in a couple years and their kids come to the door and you're like, who are these people? You know, they're all growing up. They're giants. You know, before they were a little snot-nosed kid, now they got a mustache. And, you know, we see the growth right away. Why? Because it's not in our face happening slowly. And so we're different. We're changed. And God's done a work in us. We're new 
creations, new creature. Uh, you know, that's it's a pr pretty profound thought to think that we're a new creation. It's pretty deep. We may still look the same, sound the same, to some degree uh, have the same you know, attributes. When, when I got saved, when you got saved, you know, our face didn't change, our figure didn't change, you know, uh, we didn't, our voice didn't change. You know, and you might say, well, that's the same old Rick. I've known him forever. Well, not really, because spiritually we've changed. The spirit that was dead in us, remember, we're a trichotomous being, we're three parts, spirit, soul, and body. Our soul was dormant. It was dead. God brought it to life. That's the change in us, amen. We were dead men walking around. We were just, you know, we were just soulish. We were just, you know, carnal with these physical bodies, and our spirit was dormant. But when it's made alive in Christ and born again, now we are forever changed. It's good stuff tonight, amen. The text calls it a new creation, and, you know, and we need to begin to see ourselves that way, that we've come alive in him, and our spirits are now alive and receptive to God. We can connect with the Father. People who are close to us will see the changes in us that Paul's trying to point to here, and they'll see it by the way of two indicators. They'll see it by the way of old things and new things. Look at the text says one more time here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that's us, uh, they're a new person, a new creation. Listen, the old things, say old. The old things passed away. Behold, say new. New things have come. So they'll know and see the change in us, uh, especially those close to us, uh, by two indicators, the old things and the new things. The old things that have passed away and the new things that have replaced them. You know, we don't revel in the sin that we used to enjoy anymore. We're new. And people are going to notice that. You know, your friends are going to notice that because you don't want to do that stuff anymore. And they're going to say, are you out of your mind? Remember how we started this off? We don't talk like we used to. It's like the song we were singing tonight that Giovanna was saying, you know, I, 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 we're changed and we don't talk and we don't think and we don't sound. We're, we're different. We don't, we don't speak like we used to. Uh, we love now. We're more patient now. We have affection for the people of God. We have a new excitement for God and a willingness to share him with others. Isn't it amazing when you see a person who was godless, man, just a wild heathen, get born again, get so excited for God that now they want to tell everybody about Jesus? I love when that happens, man. I love to see the look on people's face. They're like, you? You? What, are you? you? what happened to you? Have you lost your mind? Come on, some of you are in this season right now. People knew you, and now God's changed you, and you're like, what the? You know, every, everywhere you go, people are going, what the? We want to introduce others to Jesus. We don't talk and sound like we don't revel in sin anymore. We don't do the same old things. We are obviously different to those who know us. This is a sign that verse 17 has happened in our life for new creations. Now, the passing away of old things is vital. The old things in us have to go. Now, not everything you know, well, you know, I'm a Christian now, so I, I can't do anything fun anymore, and I can't do the things I used to enjoy. You know, I'm, I'm a balanced person. I, I don't get too super spiritual. I don't get weird. I'm balanced. I'm well-rounded. I, I get with pastors all the time, and they're, they're a little weird. <laughs> I'm like talking to this guy, and he's like, well, you know, I'm a pastor now, so I don't go fishing anymore. I'm like, I've been fishing four times this week. What's it? <laughs> 
What's the matter with you? you? It's not that everything goes and now we're just this total weirdo. I mean, we're going to talk about this a little bit. That's not the new, that's not the transformation I'm talking about, amen? Those fishermen that got called to be fishers of men, they were still who they were. They were still Peter, James, and John. You know, the, Peter was still Peter. I, I, with all the personality quirks and the idiosyncrasies and the desires, and, well, did they not want to do anything? As soon as Jesus was gone, they went back to fishing. <laughs> so understand there's a transformation that takes place, but the, it's the passing away of the old things, and there's certain things. They're dead works. They're nonprofit things. They're things that we don't need anymore. It's not that God is ripping things away from us that we love so now we can just be, you know, I don't know, robots for the kingdom of God. Did I say robot right? I didn't. I say robot. My wife gets mad at me. So, you know, there's a transformation. And the point that I'm trying to make here is that the old things have to go so that there's room for the new things. The old things that the Holy Spirit's trying to remove, it's not that he's trying to rip them away from us so we can be, you know, have no fun and be strange. No, he's trying to make room for new things in us. Sometimes the, the only thing that's keeping the new things from taking hold of us is that we won't let go of the old things. You know, God is trying to clean us up and sanctify us to fill us with the good things and the gifts that we have. It, it's not that now I'm, I'm saved and I'm, I'm empty and I quit smiling. I don't watch TV anymore. I don't like sports. You know, bowling is a sin. Crazy stuff. <laughs> I talked to, to the old generation, some of you think I'm kidding. Like, you know, like some of the older generation Pentecostals, right, Ricky? When they were growing up, they said, oh, yeah, bowling was a sin. We couldn't go bowling. Like, now we don't go bowling because we don't want to go bowling. I'm sorry, Tony, but it hurt, hurts my fingers. But, you know, people get a little weird. There's still some denominations and churches like that. You know, you might not know this, the holiness churches, man, they, they strip you down and they cut your hair so short, you know, it's been, you know, your brainstem is showing and you got to wear the same clothes and you look like a Mormon and everybody looks the same, dressed the same and hallelujah, brother. <laughs> to me, that repels more people than it reaches. So God's not looking to do this, but he is looking to take some old things out to make room for the new things. Now, Christians need to be shaped by Jesus and by the Holy Spirit. Look what it says. Now all these things are from God. What things? All the new things. All the things that now are being planted in us by the Spirit of God because we let go of the old things. Now, verse 18, now all these things are from God. See, it's God that we should let shape us. We shouldn't be, you know, we shouldn't be shaped by our intellect or by our understanding of what spirituality is or something in the mind. We shouldn't be shaped by the culture. Someone say amen to that. Too much of the church is bowed down to the culture. And in doing that, we've forfeited the presence of God, and now we don't have the power of God. So, you know, we're not to be formed or shaped by our intellect, the culture, or our denominational bent. You know, you go, you go to some places, some regions, and you go to certain churches, they all look the same. I talked about this. How many of you have experienced, you know, cults and, and stuff, Mormons? You ever see Mormons? They all look the same, don't they? It's not what God's trying to do, but he is trying to make room for new things. Why? Because uh, we are... 
ambassadors. We're going to get to that for Christ. We are the workmanship of his hands, and he is trying to shape us. So these things are from God. God is the one who shapes us, not the intellect, not the culture, not our denominational bent. You know, religion is not Lord. Our denomination is not Lord. We're evangelical Christians, charismatic Christians, Pentecostal Christians. How about just Christians? right? Religion is not Lord. The denomination is not Lord. The culture is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus shapes us. Jesus forms us, transforms us. He strips us and he puts us back together again. The last part of verse 18 mentions that we all have a new job to do, a specific ministry given to us by the Lord himself. Listen to this. You didn't know when you got saved, they were going to put you to work, did you? They didn't tell you that at the altar call. Christ gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We are all ministers. We all have the ministry of reconciliation. Let's explore that tonight. This means because we were made right with God and we're in Christ and he is shaping us, that because we're in that condition, Jesus wants to use us to extend the opportunity of what he did in us to other people. Now we have a ministry, we have a job. We are the ministers of reconciliation because God did a work in us and he wants to use us to be those who reach others with the same message that changed us. What does it mean to reconcile? Listen to the definition of reconcile from a biblical perspective. It means to restore to friendship or harmony. Did you hear that? That's awesome. Reconcil- I have the ministry of reconciliation. Sounds kind of formal, sounds kind of stuffy. What does it mean? It means that we restore people to what? To friendship and harmony with God. You're reconcilers because you've been reconciled. We reconcile, we restore, we broker salvation to the lost by our personal testimonies. People don't want to hear from a book. They don't want to hear from a textbook. They don't want a theology manual. They want to see a living example of what God could do with a life that surrendered to him. Amen. Amen. That's you and I, living epistles. Oh, don't patty cake me. That was good preaching. You know, we're we're, we're the example. We're the the prototype, the model. And God says, just get out there and be you. Amen. Just let let the light shine. Don't put a bushel. You know, sometimes, you know, we want to put a bushel over the light. You know, we're out there. It's like we got a bushel over us. Let the light shine. Amen. Well, I don't have anything. There's nothing special about me. That's a lie from the devil. You are absolutely special and unique. You're a trophy of God's grace. You can reach people with the testimony of a transformed life. Well, I'm just going to keep preaching until someone says amen. All right, so we're, we have this ministry of reconciliation. Maybe you guys just got shocked that I said you had a job. You're mad about that. Came to church. You're tired. They put you to work. So we restore friendship and harmony with God. We have this ministry. That's exactly what we're to do, to broker peace, uh, the peace that God offers through salvation to others. Verse 19 gives us a clear description of Jesus' role in the reconciliation process, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them, and he has committed to us the word or the ministry 
of reconciliation. So verse 19 is pretty in- interesting. Jesus, what? He came and he, he fulfilled his mission that the Father sent him to do. And what was the thrust of his mission? To reconcile the world to himself. Remember what reconciliation means? It's to restore friendship and harmony. Sin had estranged us from God. It was a wall between us. Jesus came to broker salvation to us. To what? To bring restoration, to restore us, to reconcile us to the Father. And that's exactly what he did. How did Jesus do it? He died on the cross for our sins, and he extended salvation as a free gift to ever whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord. And look what it says here. This is really cool. Not counting their wrongdoings against them. Blessed is he who the Lord does not impute sin, does not count sin against. Amen. That's what God does to us. With all our mistakes and all our mess-ups and all our sins and all our bad decisions and attitudes. Look at somebody and say, you got an attitude. You can have fun with it. You know, God looked at all of that and he goes, not going to hold it against you. That's awesome, man. Come on. I'm not, I'm not going to hold all. I know all about it. I know it in detail. In fact, I know things that you've done that you didn't even think were wrong that you've done, and I know it, but I'm not going to hold anything against you. I'm going to offer you grace, and I'm going to reconcile you to myself because of what I'm doing on the cross, dying in your place. What an amazing thing that Jesus did, not counting their wrongdoings against them. Forgiveness is such an amazing gift. God, fully aware of the depth of all of our sin, chooses not to count our sin against us, but to offer us forgiveness. The last part of the verse reminds us again that, you know, we, we have a job to do to tell others about reconciliation and that Jesus offers to them. It says, he has committed us to the word reconciliation. We've got a job to do. You and I are the mechanism God uses to spread the gospel. You and I are who God uses to restore friendship and harmony uh, to other people so that they can have a relationship with God. Our job is to go tell somebody what Jesus can do in a life that's surrendered to him. And if you're a Christian and you're born again, you have what it takes to tell other people about what Jesus can do because he's doing it in you every day by the working of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, uh, this text just keeps getting better and better. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. Look at that. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So verse 20 informs us not only do we have a job, but we have a title and an office. We're all what? Ambassadors, amen? So you and I know about ambassadors. In fact, with all the turmoil going on in the world now, we've got, you know, diplomats going to all different countries. Uh, the president was in Israel today. We've got, you know, ambassadors out there trying to broker peace, trying to make treaties, trying to keep the fires from spreading. So ambassadors are pretty important at junctures, aren't they? So here the text tells us not only do we have a new job to reconcile others, but we have an office. We're ambassadors for Christ. Now, an ambassador goes to others on behalf of one greater than himself. An ambassador doesn't represent themselves. They represent someone greater than themselves. An ambassador of the United States represents the president and the government of the United States. 
They speak on behalf of someone higher themselves. That's exactly what we do. We don't go out there and promote ourselves. Remember last week I was talking about being a self-promoter. That doesn't glorify God. We're not here to promote ourselves. Sometimes I think in Christianity we forget this. And we make Christian idols out of preachers and teachers and prophetic people or musicians. Hello, come on Wednesday night, don't die on me now. Come on. And that's not what we're due to promote ourselves. No, we're to promote Christ. Why? Because we're ambassadors of Christ and we go on behalf of one greater than ourselves. An ambassador represents the person who sent them and they speak on behalf of the person who sent them. Well, here we're being told that God has given us a job. He's given us a title and an office and he's sending us what? To be ambassadors and to be reconcilers, to offer people a relationship with Jesus Christ. An ambassador does the will of the one he represents. Just remember that we, our lives are not about doing our own thing, building our own kingdoms, getting our own way. It's getting quieter and quieter, whatever I say. I'm afraid to say one more thing. Everybody's going to pass out. As though God were making an appeal through us. What an what a interesting thought to think when we speak, when we share, when we share our faith, the Holy Spirit is flowing through us to the point where it's as if God is speaking through us. You know, what a, what a privilege it is to be used of God, to be a mouthpiece for God. The prophets were mouthpieces of God. Right? You know, when we preach and teach and, and, and share the word and share our testimonies, we're the mouthpiece of God. God's making an appeal through us, using our gifts and our brokenness and our humility to be an attractant to the lost. Do you hear what I said, an attractant? Did you know we're supposed to attract the lost? We're supposed to be spiritually attractive. How's the church looking? Is it attractive or is the church ugly? Something to think about, isn't it? God is making an appeal through us. So we have to be spiritually attractive, and that comes through humility and brokenness and the, the purifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I love Paul's, you know, I love Paul's appeal here. He says, we beg you on behalf of Christ. Are you, you guys picking up on that? We beg you. That, that's intense, isn't it? He's not like, we're giving you a choice. We're giving you a chance. We're putting it out there. No, he says, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Do you feel the passion, the focus, and the sense of urgency in Paul's methodology, amen? He, he gives the passionate appeal. When you look at how Paul preached to the Gentiles and to the Jews, I mean, skillfully using the, the Old Testament and skillfully under the, uh, you know, the unction of the Holy Spirit, presenting a case for the gospel, read the book of Acts and see how God uses Paul. He's passionate. When he reaches to the Jews, his heart was broken that in every synagogue they rejected him and they argued with him and they chased him away. But I want you to pick up the focus here, the passion here. We beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Why does there have to be that focus and that urgency? I'll tell you why. Because the, the gospel needs to be delivered with a sense of urgency because it's time sensitive. Time is running out. 
for this generation. Time is running out for the nations. Time is running out for people. All of us have an expiration date. Mine was almost in May. I was almost, that was it. Do you get this? We're mortal. We're going to die. And there's people out there who are going to die soon who are not ready to stand before the Lord. So the gospel message, this message of reconciliation, we have to give it in a, in a way that is passionate and urgent. Why? Because it's time sensitive and time is running out for some people. Verse 21 is a pivotal key verse in the realm of New Testament theology, and I will close with that tonight. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Wow. I encourage you to memorize this verse. Really, it, it is a foundational verse of New Testament theology and it incorporates so many doctrines, the vicarious substitutionary sacrifice of Christ, the fact that he became sin for us, that our sin was imputed to him on the cross. There's so much impregnated into this statement here that just, it, it, it explodes. He made him, who? God made him. Who's that? Jesus. To be sin on our behalf. Are you getting this? It was a vicarious substitutionary sacrifice. Jesus took our sin, the sins of the world. He took it all upon himself. Though he was sinless, he took all the sin and God nailed it to the cross and crucified it and broke the power of sin over all mankind. Why? So that we may become the righteousness of God in Christ. That was the purpose. That was Jesus' mission. It was, a, it was a rescue mission, a salvation mission. He came what? To break the power of sin and to offer salvation. And as his followers, you and I are called to do the same thing. The sin has been broken. Jesus has done the deed. But we're reconcilers. We're ambassadors. And we're the ones that have the mouthpiece to speak to the generation. I don't care how dark it is out there. I don't care how wild it gets out there. There is still power in the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Share your testimony. Be an ambassador. Be bold for the Lord. Put it out there and be a reconciler. And you're going to be shocked to see when you step out in faith how incredibly God will use you and lives will be changed because of your obedience. Let's bow our heads in Jesus' name. Father, I just thank you tonight for this portion of Scripture. I thank you for 2 Corinthians. Thank you for all the people here tonight that are just soaking in the Word. Father, I know that the Word's gone forth and it's bigger than us. It's hard for us to take it all in, to comprehend it all, but I trust by the Holy Spirit you've tucked every morsel of it into our hearts that when we need it, it's going to be there. It's going to illuminate our understanding. It's going to give us wisdom. It's going to give us a storehouse and a reservoir to dig from when we need the Word of the Lord to speak it into our situations and over other people who are hurting, broken, and confused. Let us wake up tomorrow remembering we're ambassadors who reconcile others to God and to do it with passion because the time is short and the message is urgent. And today is the day of salvation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give him praise tonight.